you know, I, I just like the idea of integrating work with, with fitness. I don't think the two have to be separated or compartmentalized. You know, I've been doing, uh, you know, meetings on the run for, <laughs> for as long as I can remember. I mean, in my early days uh, with the North Face, we, you know, I scheduled all of our meetings. We were jogging. Uh, we had a scribe and we'd go on a, on a you know, one hour run and we'd basically just talk about business and, you know, motion stirs emotion. We had some of our best ideas while we were out running together. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy, folks. It's RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits, and we are now back at you with season two of this show. Now, some interesting developments for myself and the family. We have decided we decided to move down to Victoria. We're currently at the border in a caravan park. The furniture made it through. We're still waiting on our passes. However, the good news is we're at a beautiful caravan park. The kids are having a great time. We're safe, secure, and warm, and the show continues. So we have our first guest, the ultra running extraordinaire, Dean Carnassus. Now we actually recorded this video while he's in quarantine here in Australia. He is participating in a charity run with Pat Farmer, a thousand miles to light. They're running from Broken Hill to Byron Bay. And we had the pleasure of interviewing him while he was on quarantine. Now, anyone that knows Dean knows it's probably easier for him to run a thousand miles than to sit still for two weeks, which it's quite impressive if you know the man. So most people that interview Dean, and Dean is probably the most interviewed ultra runner of all time, talk about running. Now, of course, we talk about running as an ultra runner. And, you know, many people in our community are in endurance sports. Of course, we're going to talk about it. But a lot of people don't realize that Dean is an MBA, went to a top business school and was a senior marketer for many, many years. And we talk about not only running, but we talk about business and how he has had to pivot his approach, obviously running at a community group level where he traditionally focuses energies has gone down, but at an individual level, running has inclined. So he's been really aligning with initiatives and products focused on the end runner, and he's had to pivot his whole approach and business model. And we have a really interesting discussion about that. So it's a conversation that focuses on that cross-section of running business. We talk about family, what it's like when you make your living from having to move all the time and how he's been able to manage that whilst raising a family and children. It's a really, really great conversation. It's someone that I personally wanted to talk to for many, many years. Dean's had a major influence on my own ultra running journey. And I do hope that whether you're into ultra running, you're into business or both, you get a lot out of this conversation. So this season, we've taken all your feedback on board. We hope that you enjoy the show. Thanks for continuing to support us. Obviously, we want your feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly. Let us know what we can prove, what you love, what you don't. Anyways, we're going to leave you with Dean now. Take care. Peace. Y'all have a great one. Dean, we want to welcome you to the Ultra Habits show. Although uh, it it's been it, it hasn't been a smooth process, we have finally we finally made it, and we're finally here. And welcome to Australia, Dean. 
It's good to be back. I um, I lived here when I was in high school, actually an exchange student in the on the northern beaches of Sydney, and I've traveled to Australia many times. But it's nice to be back. I wish under <laughs> better circumstances. I remember you were out here. I think in 2018, I read a piece where you ran an ultra in Black Hole, right in the Sunshine Coast. Is that right? Yeah, I did the Black Hole 100 uh, on the Sunshine Coast. And that was uh, that was that was the, one of the last ultras I did before the pandemic. Mm. So when you were living here as a student, were you running in the bush or were you running on the road? What What's your view on Australian uh, running? You know, when I was here as a student, I was uh, surfing more than running. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going I was supposed to go to high school, but um, it was optional if the surf you know if the surf was good, school was optional. Yeah, so I wasn't doing a lot running, but uh, you know, in my subsequent trips back, I've done quite a bit of running. So I've you know I've run the um, uh, the Blue Mountain um, 100 and the Black Ball 100. I once ran from uh, the summit of uh, Mount Kosciuszko to Sydney, so I ran 600 kilometers in a in six days and something that was called the summit to Sydney. So I've done a lot of running in Australia. And, you know, the one thing about the Australian ultra running community, I think it's very cohesive. And I think there's a lot of camaraderie, at least, you know, from the black all 100, uh, they, they really, they put on a show, you know, there, there's wars between the aid stations for the best, the best food at the aid stations and they have a lot of fun with it. So, uh, it's, you know, that, that was a very spirited event. And, um, I really found it quite endearing. Mm. Have you ever run in an ultra in New Zealand, Dean? No, I haven't. I've, you know, I've traveled to New Zealand a couple times. Mm. And the first time I went is uh, when I was living in Australia and I spent two weeks uh, hitchhiking around New Zealand, uh, just with my surfboard and a backpack, mm. uh, but no running. Uh, but I, you know, those memories, uh, would tell me that the running in New Zealand is amazing. And of course, I know a lot about the running in New Zealand, and it is amazing. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because you're just talking about your experience here in Australia. And Australians, we, as an American living here, I now consider myself both, but it, it, we have a serious kind of a bit of dry humor in Australia. And I remember when I was running an ultra, I think a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic in New Zealand, because the Kiwi... Um, the Kiwis obviously have a large uh, Pacific Islander population D between um, aid stations. When you hit an aid station, they've got like the hip hop music, they're dancing and like, it's just, you know, when you're, you know, when you're in the pain cave and you're just in the, in the absolute pits of despair and you get to an aid station to see people dancing and laughing, it was just something that I had never experienced before. So it just made me think when you thought of when you were talking about the kind of experience at the aid stations. Yeah, it was the same sort of thing. I mean, people were in uh, Hawaiian shirts. It was very festive. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was a suffer fest. Um, mm. it, was, it was hot and humid, and it and it was raining, and uh, it got very slippery. And and just to come into an aid station and have people, you know, music blaring and you know Hawaiian music blaring and all this food, it was it was quite uplifting. Yeah, I actually tried to make it down to Sydney because I think you were doing some signings actually in the city but i had some business there and i think you had already left and so unfortunately i missed you but uh you are back and you're stuck 
in a hotel in quarantine. So what does life look like for the man that cannot stop moving two weeks in quarantine? What are you doing in terms of exercise, Dean? Because I know you're exercising. What are you doing? <laughs> well, one thing I'm, I, I, you know, I, I've learned a lot of like uh, hacks when you're living in a hotel just from traveling so much. So the first thing I did is I pulled out the ironing board and that's my standing desk. So I'm there. I'm not even right now. I'm pacing up and down the hallway of the, the hotel as we're talking. I'm not I'm not sitting down at all. And then I've got my hit routine, which is primarily body weight, you know, push ups, pull ups, sit ups. Uh, I brought my TRX straps. Um, I'm doing a lot of burpees, a lot of jumping lunges. Um, I had some weights delivered to my room and I'm getting a treadmill later today. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to stay active and uh, just constantly moving from the second I get up. Dean, that's a really good point. Um, and something I actually want to unpack because um, I'm in the corporate land and I'm in and around lots of people that view my day is unusual because people see what I do. I take naps, I run, I do things that help me manage my energy. And I think people don't realize that you can integrate exercise into your work. And that was something that you highlighted in one of your books that I actually read that you'll, or no, sorry, it was an interview with Rich Roll. I think during, while you work, you kind of go into the other room and do pull-ups and you go back into work. So you can actually integrate exercise into your, I think people think of this kind of two separate events, right? Where I'm going to sweat too much or I have to separate or isolate my exercise from my workday. What's your view on that? I think it's, that's becoming much more accepted. You know, I've been doing that for about a decade. And, you know, I remember even when I was going to an office, I had a pull-up bar in my office and a sit-up mat, and I was constantly cycling through like a hit routine. It's about a, a 12 to 14 minute hit routine throughout the course of the day. And I, you know, I, I just like the idea of integrating work with, with fitness. I don't think the two have to be separated or compartmentalized. You know, I've been doing, uh, you know, meetings on the run for, <laughs> for as long as I can remember. I mean, in my early days uh, with the North Face, we, you know, I scheduled all of our meetings. We were jogging. Uh, we had a scribe and we'd go on a, on a, you know, one hour run and we'd, basically just talk about business and, you know, motion stirs emotion. We had some of our best ideas while we're out running together. People don't realize that people may not realize that you actually had a corporate background. Can you dive more into that and how the running evolution occurred? Yeah, I actually, people don't know, but <laughs> I have an MBA. <laughs> so, <Okay>. Yeah, I <laughs> keep that back hidden. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of lessons from, uh, running that, that translate to business. But the other thing that you don't hear a lot of is there's a lot of lessons from business that translate to running. And when I started getting into ultra running, I thought, you know, this is a, uh, something you love. It'd be wonderful to make a career doing this, but how, I mean, you know, you win an ultra marathon, you get a belt buckle. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's not going to, you know, put food on the table. So I used a lot of, you know, the skills I've learned in marketing and, and management. And uh, in that way, was able to carve out a living, you know, as an ultra marathoner when, you know, when I, when I first started doing this, it was almost three decades ago, that was unheard of. Well, that's actually an interesting point because we now live in an era where lots of young 
workers are trying to pivot into their dream. You did that years ago. What did that process actually look like? I mean, in terms of, I know it wasn't linear, but how did you unpeel yourself from corporate living and corporate lifestyle and work to ultimately living and working what you love? Yeah, well, I thought, you know, you need to, you need to pay the bills. So let's be a realist here. You know, you, you can't just go do what you love if, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be broke. So I thought, how are you going to make a living, you know, uh, as an ultra marathoner? And I thought, well, you know, let's look at some, uh, you know, some sources of revenue. And I thought, you know, you can, you can work with sponsors. So, you know, you can work um, with uh, sponsors to, you know, develop new products to bring to market, uh, to, um, you know, expand into new markets and so forth. And I thought you can maybe write a book and, you know, see, see how that goes. And so I wrote a book and that became, um, you know, a bestseller, uh, which amazed me actually, but all of a sudden I had kind of a, a revenue stream coming in from royalties. And then I thought, you know, you can do some keynote speaking, you're a business guy and, you know, uh, corporations are always looking for motivational speakers. So I started doing a lot of keynote speaking and just kind of piecing all of that together. Uh, the other thing that um, I tried to do is, is to build the sport of ultramarathoning. I mean, when I first started ultramarathoning, the first year I, I ran an ultramarathon was 1993. And in North America, there were about 3,500 finishers of an ultramarathon. You know, in 2018, there were about uh, 135,000 finishers. So the sport itself has grown. And I thought that, you know, the more the sport grows, um, the more the opportunity would be for making a living, you know, doing what you love. Did you, was there a overlap where you rubbed up against your corporate job where people were wondering about Dean's focus? And the second part of that question is, and this is probably more selfishly, I find when I'm training for ultra, and it could be because I have little kids, but it just managing my workload and the corporate commitments, you know, I'm wrecked by 10.30 a.m. And that's kind of why I've had to integrate sleeping and all that. How did you manage, I suppose, the balance of the corporate agenda, the expectations and your performance and energy levels? You know, I was a younger man then. And when I reflect back on how I, I pulled it off, <laughs> I, I don't know how I did it because I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sleeping at all. Right. And, you know, I was, I was getting up at, uh, you know, three in the morning to train and then, you know, having breakfast with the kids. Like I had young kids as well. And, you know, being a good father was my number one priority. So I'd, you know, I'd have breakfast with the kids after running a marathon uh, before breakfast. And then I'd get them to school. Uh, I'd shower up and shave, go to the office, um, you know, do the things that a lot of, uh, you know, triathletes and marathoners know. I, you know, at lunch, I'd, I'd, you know, slip out of the office, go for my one hour run, you know, kind of do a quick sponge bath in the sink in the bathroom and, and go back to the office. And so it was, it was, you know, it was, it was just a, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of sleep deprivation. Uh, but somehow, you know, when you're impassioned and when you're energized by what you're doing, it, it doesn't seem like work. Yeah, that's true. So now you've written 
you're this enigma, right? Like you're a man that literally can't sit still. And people have said this to me as well. And you, but you've had enough uh, follow through and uh, presence to complete an MBA. You've now written, I think, what is this your fourth book or third? Third or uh, fourth? Runner's High is my fifth book, actually. Your fifth book. Runner's mm-hmm. High. Can you go into what Runner's High is about? Because I actually, um, I haven't had the opportunity to read it yet because it's just, it's it's so new. It's effectively not out on um, on Audible where I consume most of my uh, my content, but it is out in in hard copy. And I've read the reviews, and some of the reviews say it's a much more introspective piece. So, what was the intent behind writing this one? Well, my first book that I spoke of, uh, which is titled Ultra Marathon Man, was a coming of age book. So it was kind of learning about this crazy world of ultra marathoning where people run you know hundreds of kilometers without stopping and so five books later i thought you know now it's it's time to reflect on you know how's how's the ride been you know those two and a half decades that you've been doing this how are you still doing it how has the sport changed how have you changed and what has you know what has running brought to your life uh let's face it you know running is it's 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 not a real intellectual pursuit is it it's a very simple action but it's profound and running becomes your identity in a way. I, I think you can relate to this intimately. It's who you are. And, and so I thought, you know, t- tell a story that is both propulsive, uh, that, you know, is kind of a page turner, but um, do that by, you know, tugging on people's heartstrings, make it intimate, make it personal and, you know, be real. And that's what a runner's high is all about. It's, it's hard to explain the book. Um, there's a lot of nuance to the book, but I'll tell you what, I mean, even today, before this interview, I got a, I got a message from a guy that said he was going to read a couple chapters of the book last night before bed. And he said, five hours later, he, he finished the last page. And then he said he got up and he said, I just had to go for a run. So <laughs> something about the book has worked. Mm. Charlie, your, your relationship with running is, is, is interesting. And, um, and every runner, I suppose, has a unique relationship to running. Charlie says he doesn't necessarily even like to run always. He just likes effectively the runner's high. Do you, are you always, because someone coming across you, Dean, would feel and possibly naively that you would just always would love to run at any given opportunity. Is this true or do you struggle with your runs as well? Is there, is is there the ups and downs that we all can go through in terms of our motivation? What's your relationship to running and what is it about running that is suppose is your most favorite thing? (laughs) <laughs> well, I laugh when you uh, reference Charlie because um, Charlie always tells me he doesn't like the run. He likes the after run. That's right. <laughs> He's such, t- such a typical addict. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just get me that high. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but, you know, I, I actually like running itself just for, for nothing else than running. I, you know, I, I tend to view running as play and I also tend to view running as adventure. Um, you know, not every workout to me is quantified. You know, we live in such a quantified world and so many runners, you know, are so plugged into every single run and every run has got to be about something. Uh, to me, some runs are just about the joy of running itself. 
And, you know, thankfully the place I live, which is just north of San Francisco, a place called Marin County, there are endless trails that I can just wander on uh, right at my door. So, you know, some, some days I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm running a set route if, uh, you know, in a, in a specified time or I'm trying to follow a training block. Other days I'm just, I'm not even wearing a watch, uh, a sports tracker. Mm-hmm. I'm just going for a run just to enjoy it, just to be out in nature. And maybe I'm gone for an hour. Maybe I'm gone for five hours. I just run by feel. And to me, that keeps it fresh. Uh, and I, I love running as much now as, you know, as I ever did. Um, but to your question, you know, are some days more difficult than others? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, but in a lot of ways, you know, after you get back from those runs where you don't want to run, uh, it, it, the reward is even, even greater. Mm. So you're, you're talking about that kind of ability to transcend how we feel and know that we, we did what we needed to do, or we did the right thing in the face of not wanting to, or not feeling like it. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that we, a lot of times know, uh, what we should do, you know, what is the right thing to do, but that's often the hard thing to do, isn't it? So when you do the hard thing, you, you, you know, it's that much more rewarding when you complete it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've at times found myself at the other end of the spectrum where I need to learn or had to learn how to become skillful and not necessarily keep hitting my head against that wall because that's the task and, and starting to kind of think, okay, well, how can I be skillful with my energy uh, where I'm at uh, different circumstances throughout the day. Um, But it's, it's been such a, such an evolution uh, for me. And, you know, we were talking earlier uh, about, I'm also from the the San Francisco Bay Area. I, I the thought isn't lost upon me that, or how ironic it is that it took me to come to Australia to find ultra running, only to learn that it's so kind of prolific in the Bay Area. I had the opportunity uh, a couple years ago to run in Auburn. I didn't run Western states. I think I ran part of it, but it just it really you know, it was, it was amazing to realize just how much good running is back home. Yeah. I mean, California and specifically Marin County in a lot of ways is ground zero for ultra running and, you know, Auburn, the city you reference, you you know, is they're now known as the endurance capital of the world. Uh, Their mayor proclaimed that. So, and (laughs) Auburn is the finish of, you know, of Western States, as you know, Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support. If you are new to the show and haven't done so, please go to the website at www.ultrahabits.co to subscribe and also rate our podcast. You can do that on any of your favorite mediums that you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. And again, you can go to the website to do so. It is on the back of your support that we've been able to grow so strong in season one. And we hope that we can continue to serve you with great conversations, information, and game-changing habits. Anyways, man, I'm out of here. Peace out. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. So let's talk about your personal stuff a little bit more and and some of the lessons learned. I think you're in a unique position because a lot of ultra runners of today, the younger generation, that's all they've been doing, right? The guys like yourself and Charlie – you guys that were kind of the OGs in the game, 
you guys had jobs, right? Like you guys were working and you guys were uh, building families. And, and I think a lot of the lessons that you bring across are super relevant to the corporate arena and that executive athlete that we really focus on here at Ultra Habit. So what were some of those learnings that you had the, the other way in terms of applicability of lessons from business into running and even running it back into business that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think ultra running teaches you there are no shortcuts. You know, there, there's no path of least resistance. Uh, you know, you, you can't fake your way to the finish of an ultra marathon. You've got to pay your dues. So, you know, that, that lesson in business, I think is invaluable. Uh, it's not easy and taking the easy path is, is not going to get you to your goals. So having that work ethic and that discipline, uh, to, to pay your dues, you know, to put in the necessary work, I think is essential. You know, mm -hmm. the other thing to me with ultra marathoning is, you know, getting comfortable with uncertainty because there's, you know, when you're standing at the, at the start of a, you know, hundred mile foot race there's absolutely no guarantee you're going to get to the finish line. So, so much about finishing an ultra marathon is about problem solving, you know, dealing with things that arise along the way. And so it teaches you to be spontaneous. It teaches you to be good at improv improvising and it teaches you to be good at, um, you know, knowing when just to put your head down and grunt through it versus when to, to back off and to, you know, take more seriously uh, the hurdles you're facing. That's really, really profound. I mean, just not to digress, it's connected to the question. Have you ever done, you don't seem like someone that would like it. I, I, it's not necessarily my thing, but have you gotten into obstacle course racing? And yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm pretty good friends with the founder of um, Spartan Race, mm -hmm. uh, Joe DeSena. He's, a, he's a, an amazing businessman, by the way. Um, so I've done a number of, of his races, the Spartan races, which are, you know, OCRs, obstacle course races. Uh, I've tend to do the longer ones, which are the beast or the ultra beast. But I, I quite enjoy it. I quite enjoy mixing it up. I mean, it's, it's very much a different challenge than just running itself. But um, I, I like trying new things. Yeah, Joe was our first guest when we kicked off Ultra Habits. And <laughs> I actually knew him before yeah. this show. And the thing I like about Joe is I, I, I kind of, you know, I seek advice and he's super accessible on email and he's always really quick to get back. And he was our first guest. And one of the things he said to me was that, you know, it's always the people that you don't suspect that do well in his events, the CEOs, the moms, and, you know, you get a lot of elite ex-military people that don't necessarily finish it. And I remember having a conversation with my CEO. I said to him, I said, dude, you would be super, super good in an ultra or obstacle racing. And he kind of doubted himself, but what he doesn't realize the reason I said that is just, I've just watched his ability to deal with ambiguity and uncertainty and really uh, kick off and have the sustainable energy and attitude towards this transformation within our business. We had uh, within, within my, um, my logistics business. So I think you're quite right that a lot of the inner workings required to do an ultra are super applicable in commerce, right? Yeah, I mean, I think those the you know just the the, <laughs> the basic nuts and bolts of being a good business guy are the same. Hmm. And so, one of the things that I wanted to ask you and talk to you about 
and given I didn't have the benefit of reading your book is I know that family's always been super important to you. And I was, I remember telling my wife how, because I, I was trying to like uh, couch the justification for what I do by using you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, this better be, be, you know, they go on family holidays and sometimes his wife will drive ahead and he'll run and meet them. And she was kind of looking at me like, yeah, all right. Okay. I see where you're going with this, but how, how just reflecting upon your pursuit and this uh, unwavering drive within ultra marathoning, which is an all consuming thing, really mind, body, soul, spirit. How have you maintained the proper focus and energy levels within the family? Like, is that been a continual struggle, something you've had to reflect on continuously? Like what's your, how do you audit that? Yeah. I mean, it's surprisingly, there's been very little friction from my running. And I think a couple of things that I, you know, I've, I've always put my family first and I think that, you know, kids are really quick to see through hypocrisy you know, so if you tell them they're your number one priority, but they see you out running all the time and ignoring them, you know, they notice that. But it was coming from a, a place of authenticity, my love for my kids and my family. So I've always put them first. Uh, you know, the other thing is that I've taken them everywhere. I mean, they've traveled the world with me. They've been to Australia. You know, they've been to Europe multiple times, South America. Uh, so I take them with me. You know, once when I ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days they came along and you know how many kids their age my my son was nine and my daughter was 11 have seen all 50 states so they got to see all 50 states they got to meet other kids you know along the way they got to try the food in different um, states so it's been a kind of a uh, you know a, a really nice life for them in that regard the other thing that i've done is you know when we travel it's not just about dad going to a race you know, it, that's one of the elements, but I do a lot of other things for them. We do a lot of sightseeing. We do a lot of fun kids things. So when I say, hey, you know, you want to go to this next race instead of them saying, oh, dad's going to drag us to another race again. The whole family looks forward to it because, you know, we, we have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of triathletes. We've had a few of them on the show saying, you know, you really make it a family event. I, I do as well. Uh, I do let my wife know you know, coming up to a taper, she knows like, you know, the, the mileage may increase and I may get a bit cranky on those weekend runs after the run when I come home and, you know, three-year-olds pulling me from pillar to post. But I think you're quite right. I think having that balance, um, inclusivity is important, making it something that's really fun and about the family, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise they dread it, but, uh, you know, it's the one time I yeah, I'll splurge on a nice hotel room, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll make it really nice for them. And mm. it, that pays big dividends. So what's life going to look like for Dean in the next five to 10 years? Like what what's what are you you're you know, admittedly, your 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 age is catching up with you. It's not necessarily as easy for you to run the distances that you used to and the speeds that you used to, but you still are, you're still out there doing your thing, but how do you see things um, playing out for you in terms of your interests and your focus within the next five years? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll preface that by saying that, you know, COVID has changed everything. And it's forced me to very quickly kind of course correct and, and look at the five-year plan because, you know, I, I, my bread and butter was going to events. I mean, I was on the road almost every weekend. I was at a running event, you know, doing a, a book signing or, you know, a poster signing in a, in a sponsor's booth, you know, an appearance or giving a keynote talk. And, you know, with COVID, big events just stopped. I mean, literally just stopped. So all of a sudden this, you know, my income stream was, was cut, I don't know, by three quarters, <laughs> literally overnight. And I thought, okay, you, you know, you, you, you're going to have to figure out what, what do you do given the new landscape and not knowing when things will be fully back online. So, you know, the one thing that uh, I've started to do is I started to invest and I've started to trust my instinct more. Uh, you wouldn't imagine the things that show up on my doorstep. I don't even know how people find out where I live, but I get all kinds of crazy devices wow. and okay. you know, supplements and you know, new products. Uh, some of it is crap. Others is, you know, some of it is really intriguing and promising. So I've started, uh, you know, taking a share in companies I work with. Right. And, and also, and giving them free kind of consulting services. And uh, th that's something I'm going to continue to do because I think, you know, one, I find it very uh, intriguing and rewarding, the, the work itself. But two, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another way to, um, you know, prepare for my financial future. So I've been doing a whole lot of that during the pandemic. That's super interesting because whilst running is a group or event may decline, the act of running will actually incline. So it's about, well, how do you then pivot your positioning to be more geared towards the individual runner versus events, right? Because you're still super relevant as a thought leader and running brand ambassador. So whilst you may not be event driven, you'll be still aligning with businesses or products that are runner focused, right? I, you, you got it. Yep. That's exactly my, the same thinking I have. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, I've got a friend here in Australia who is started working. He's a director at Peloton. Now, I'm not a cyclist, but like businesses like that are going to explode, right? From my understanding, they cycle and they get these kind of virtual video. And, you know, like this is, I had a guy, I knew a guy here in Australia that his business was declining with treadmills because of gyms. Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he's in the right business, you know? Uh, so, I, 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 this has been so, it's been such a divisive event, COVID for businesses. I mean, there, there's, it's it, businesses have either sunk or just risen stratospherically. And your perception is absolutely right. The number of people running, at least in the US, and I think in Australia as well, mm -hmm. has, has, it's exploded mm -hmm. since the pandemic. More and more people have taken to running because it's accessible. Mm -hmm. It's not in a gym. Uh, it's, it's cheap, right? I mean, what you don't need to spend no. a lot of equipment. So more and more people are running and that's been a, a huge boom for uh, sportswear manufacturers, uh, footwear manufacturers, exercise equipment manufacturers, where uh, things like gyms, <laughs> you know, yoga studios, it's been horrible for them. And as well, you know, unfortunately for events, you know, big events like the New York City Marathon, the Boston Marathon, I mean, they've, they've just been 
you know, completely decimated. And I, you know, I don't, I can't see, you know, like the, the New York city marathon, for instance, I mean, there's in, in the, in the weekend of the marathon expo, there's something like 300,000 people go through the Javits center. You're not going to have 300,000 people, you know, congregating in a, in a convention center anytime in the near future. So that business is gone for, for a while, if, if not for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting. It's about, you know, how do you reach the individual now? And I think you're in a very good position if you align with the right innovative brands to be a brand ambassador and give these young companies also the insights as well as the, the Dean K sticks his name to something. It works and it's good. So I think there'll be an opportunity there. And I think it helps that you're a bloody MBA. So there you go. <laughs> See, well, it was you know, worth it. I mean, you know, it, 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 I mean, the pandemic has been, I, you know, crying on your shoulder about how uh, all the events are gone and how my, you know, my, you know, my, my income got just, you know, cut in half. But that being said, more people, people are reading more books because, you know, you're, you've got a captive audience now. So, you know, my brand is expanding um, in ways that it, it, you know, probably won't given the pandemic. And as well as, I mean, I hate to look at, look at it in competitive, you know, in a competitive uh, view, but, you know, the, those people that are moving up in ultra marathoning, it's harder for them now because, you know, there's, they're not like, you, there's not as much focus on race winners because there's fewer races. Mm. So how do you build your brand if you're a young gun and you can't mm. win races uh, where, you know, the books are still there and people are still, you know, seeing my name about. So it's, it's actually worked out well for me in that regard. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Well, unfortunately, I, uh, you know, I was talking to Charlie and I, you know, I know that you guys were coming and the plan probably unbeknownst to you was that I was going to meet and uh, interview you guys in Byron Bay. My wife's from Byron Bay and we we're going to just drive up there. And um, I've actually got Pat on the show on two days from now. So um, that'll be that'll be interesting. But uh, again, um, I think what we'll do is before we we start to wrap it up, Dean, I know there's some things that our audience want to know in terms of implementable things they can do, you know, that, you know, say you've got a corporate person that, you know, is in the office, he or she's looking to start to get into marathons into running. Uh, what are some of the things that you would advise people looking to get into running in terms of uh, habits, things they could do to start to solidify a running I think they should start by buying my book. <laughs> Great call. <laughs> Buy my book and then, yeah. But uh, I, I think people should look uh, inside. You know, the, the, I'm, I'm 100% Greek and the Oracle of Delphi always said, you know, know thyself. Um, and so I think that if you are an introvert as I am, you probably are going to prefer running by yourself. So I would say, you know, start from the ground up, invest in a good pair of footwear. Um, you know, footwear technology has come so far in the past three to five years that, you know, it's just with Hoka's and all these other innovations, uh, you know, running is much more comfortable than it used to be. So invest in a good pair of, of footwear and then, um, you know, go online and look for a, a training plan. Um, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful program called Couch to 5K. 
that will get you off the couch and finishing a 5k and I think six weeks time. So, you know, look at something like that. If you're an extrovert, uh, you know, then sign up for, to be part of a group. I mean, I know it's harder these days to run as a group, but there still are group runs taking place. You know, they're, they're small, they're typically less than 10 people, but if you like that accountability of, you know, I've got to be, you know, at Pitt street at 9am on Wednesdays and Saturdays, then join a group, a running group. Uh, so that's, that's what I recommend. Before we go, I got to get geek for a minute. I know you're super Greek, like most Greeks are super Greek. Um, and we obviously had a, a great Greek runner, Giannis Kouris, out of Australia, who I'm sure you know. Um, now, he, in Adelaide, and I think in 1996, ran 360, 306 kilometers in 24 hours before, you know, a lot of the technology. And there's a lot of folklore around his running, because I think he said he never trained more than 20Ks, but, you know. Um, and I know Kylian Jordan recently tried to break his 24-hour record and he didn't how do you think this man ran so fast for so long before all the technology and don't tell me because you think he's great <laughs> it's funny though you know his family and my father's family are from this the same village it's crazy yeah i didn't and know that Yanis Kuros is, I don't know why the scientific world have not like dissected him. And, and I mean, he, he is, it, he's otherworldly and how he did it. It's crazy how he did the things he did. And, and he attributes it to, he's always so random. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't know how to train. He says, Oh, it's because I eat baklava, <laughs> you know, which is sweet pa Greek pastry. I'm like, dude, give me a break. I mean, your, your records have stood for, well, you know, I mean, 25 years, and no one's even come close. I mean, the best ultra runners in the world these days are not even coming close to his records. Uh, you know, he, he won a race called the Spartathlon, which is, uh, it's a 246 kilometer race in Greece. And they thought he cheated because his time was, he was, you know, he was 12 hours ahead of the next guy. And they thought he got in a car. And so he said, well, you can just follow me next time. He went out next year and broke his previous record and they followed him the whole way and they just, people couldn't believe it. So he, he's, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal specimen and how he was able to do what he did. Uh, it still boggles my mind. So you think it was phenomenal? Like it wasn't, it, it was just freaks Freak kind of just, it was arbitrary. You don't think there was any kind of science behind his approach necessarily. I know. I mean, I think there's maybe uh, genetics involved. I mean, when you go to the area, you know, like where, where he's from and where my father's family's from mm -hmm. people there are just, I mean, you, they, their body type is different. I mean, even people that are not in shape, their leg, they look like goats, you know, and they, and they do spend a lot of time outdoors and it is very mountainous, but I think that uh, he just had the right set of genes. And I think he just, he didn't know, you know, what was impossible. And so he went and did it. Mm. Mm. No, look, I could dive into this piece with you really, really deep right now, but I, but I, but I won't, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll reserve it for another show. That'll be the, the segue to the follow-up. But what I would like to do is really firstly appreciate you coming on the show, Dean. You've uh, 
been in, you know, I've always loved your stuff. You've been an inspiration for me. Where, um, let, first of all, maybe give some insights into the, the new book. I, I'll leave that to you and where our audience can find you in terms of more information. Yeah, I mean, the, the new book is storytelling. Um, you know, at the heart of what I do is storytelling. And I think at the heart of any good business, it's all about storytelling. So, you know, I've learned how to keep someone engaged with my storytelling. So if you, you know, if you pick up a copy of a runner's high, I think that read the first page. If I don't have you hooked on the first page, I failed. And I think I'm, I might just succeed. So give it, give it a try. And, you know, where do people find me? Uh, someone said, if you Google Dean, I'm the first person that comes up. So if you want to, you know, go to my website or you want to find me on social media, just Google Dean. All right, Dean, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. And I really hope you enjoy Australia. I hope I can get out of this hotel and enjoy Australia as well. All right, man. Thank you.